Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. Hope you're having a nice week. Sorry about yesterday. I had to leave it to Jim at last minute and then his internet packed up. So I know that uh, he had some technical issues. Hopefully we're one of those today. Seems to be a stable connection. Hope you can hear me okay. Hope you're having a nice day, nice week, etc. Looks like we're on his way out of lockdown, which is brilliant. Means we can chew over some more face-to-face gubbins and try and get towards some of the old normal as well as the new normal, which I'm looking forward to, as many of you no doubt are. We've got various different topics coming up in, in this coming weeks and some great guests, including one today, which is brilliant. We're going to speak to an old friend from the internet. We've met in person once before. We're just reminiscing over a good burger uh, that we had a number of years ago when I visited Scotland as part of iPhone in 2016, so four, four approaching five years ago. And um, the reason we want to talk to Dan is because he's got an interesting situation of which uh, he'll tell his story a little in terms of his background is in osteopathy, but now... Uh, works in MSK, but as a former osteopath, ex-osteopath, and now uh, also a member of the STA. Um, and so it's uh, really interesting, considering all the conversation we've been having about professional identity as MSK therapists, how much it matters, where it does, where it doesn't, that it just felt like a perfect thing to, to catch up with my old pal Dan. So without further ado, and again, as, as ever, do let me know if you can hear. That's always important, you know, my paranoia over these things. So uh, offer it in the chat. Um, and also, I want to. I always like to open by asking you a question that you can sort of think on as we're going through. And when we've got guests on, I know you guys are always a bit quieter early doors in the chat because you're listening in and responding, which is fine. But I want to ask you a question that you can post in the comments now and then as we go along, which is, what does it mean to you in terms of your professional identity? If you were to leave that profession but stayed in the industry, um, would it matter and how would you identify? So if I was to leave physiotherapy but still practiced as an msk therapist and was to tell that line appro- appropriately in a legal sense but what would it mean if i was to just be an msk therapist or would i call myself a former physiotherapist ex-physiotherapist would it sound like i'd retired somehow you know all that sort of stuff i'm going to get stuck into with dan but i want you to think about that and you to reflect on it and then share your thoughts in that direction if you would in the chat function wherever you might be listening to this if you've turned up and you're listening to it on facebook you prefer it to be on youtube it also is similarly on periscope on linkedin etc so wherever you're finding it it might not be optimized to you then you can find it elsewhere including after the fact on spotify etc you can find it wherever you prefer it so without further ado let me strip myself of that graphic and bring in hopefully smoothly daniel gerber Gerbs, can you hear me okay? I can. That was very smoothly done, Jack. Um, Thank you. Makes a change, doesn't it? Usually rather clunky, but yeah, everything seems to be working quite smoothly today. So I've I've sort of hinted at your your situation a little there, but um, can you take take me to the, you know, a bridge version of the professional identity piece with regards to training as an osteopath and then where you are now, presenting as a former osteopath, ex osteopath? Um, I'm not sure I fully understand, but, you know, graduated in uh, 98. Right. Uh, that was a changeover from um, uh, voluntary regulation to statutory state regulation. So I became a fully registered osteopath in year 2000. Worked until 2019 as an osteopath. And in 2019, I deregistered. Uh, and now, I, as you said, I'm... Uh, member of the STA, uh, I'm their regional rep for Scotland. Uh, so, and it, it's it just the STA represents me now. Um, right. It's it's who I am. It's what I am, uh, mm. and that's that's that. I mean, 
Was that quite what you're saying, or did you mean it yeah, in a different absolutely. way? Absolutely, no, that's good because it gives that sort of overview that we're wanting to do. Because we've said we're not going to get stuck into the the details of the transition as much as we are. I'm bothered today to talk a little bit more about what it means to be an osteopath and how yeah. it feels to then not be, or and then how how that maps on to how it presents publicly. You taking me for a walk? I'm just opening the blinds up so you can <laughs> see me a little bit better. Uh, a little bit more light in here because no uh, I was, I don't know, looking quite sinister with a lot of shadows on my face. His, uh, Santa's beard ready for Christmas, isn't he, Gerbs? Now we can see his beard a bit crisper now that he's uh, brought the light in. You see this tummy as well. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> You're growing that for Christmas as well. Brilliant. Oh, I don't know. What's, what's the... Um, What's the, the situation then with, uh, obviously we just spoken before we went live about what it means to be an osteopath for then a number, you know, 20 years now, you know, you're just over 20 years, you're an osteopath. What does it mean to then not be? Is it something that actually is flick a switch and it matters not? Or is it something that does feel a bit more emotive than that? It's a lot more emotive than that. I think, you know, you've definitely had this discussion before in a number of places and it's how do you identify yourself? Uh, I identify myself, or I identified myself as an osteopath. It was part of what I it was what I did during my day. It's also how you think as well, how you act. Um, and I think you know you'll find a lot of physios and chiropractors will, will definitely act in the same way. Uh, you know your rationalizing process for how you come to everything will be part of your your daily life as well mm. so you will act the way you feel and it's it's more than it's more than a job it's more than a profession it becomes part of who you are and then suddenly you're not and it feels like the end of a relationship it feels like a a bit of a death the only way i can explain it was like there, there was death it was a period of, of mourning um something had gone something was was maybe missing uh it wasn't there anymore uh, and you're trying to identify yourself. So you know, you're, you're a couple. So it's, it's me and my partner. And then your partner's gone. And it's like, how, how do I identify myself now? I'm not a couple. What, what, what am I? What do I do? Where do I go? Mm. Um, and yeah, you, you can't hang out with the friends you were before because they're couples and they look at you with pity because you're not part of that couple anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, you've lost that, that part of the relationship. So you're mm. different to them. Um, and yeah, uh, it's emotive. It's, it's, it's not just flick a switch. You, I thought you could, um, cause it was my decision to deregister, but I, I still felt this sense of loss. It's probably the best well, that's way of describing it. That's what I was interested in. My next question really was, did you expect that? Or was it something that you'd anticipated it being quite quite close to your heart and, and quite close to your personal identity or, or, you know, as you've said, sounds like you've started to answer it really is that you actually didn't see that coming. No, not at all. I mean, um, you can prepare to a certain extent, but then it happens and it's the switch is flicked. You sent the letter off, you deregistered, but, the the um, the emotional attachment to what you are, what you were, mm. is still there. Um, you know, twenty years, uh, maybe even ten years, five years, is it's longer than a lot of marriages. <laughs> it's longer <laughs> than a lot of relationships, yeah. um, and 
Yeah, it's it's different. It's gone. I don't, I don't know how you prepare for it uh, since leaving. I've mentioned before on, on this show, but also in, in a number of different pieces of work in which, for good and ill, there's a cultural trope that, that we all do. You know, meeting a stranger, it's a small talk feature to say, and what do you do for a living? It's It's something that is central to how we go about things uh, in, in, in certainly are I know I've heard various people that that's not something that transcends every every border and every culture but certainly something that I recognize as being something that's within if you put someone on the spot they'd probably be within their first five questions trying to force some small what you do they'd be bothered about what someone does for a living yeah. and and that then then that being attached to a qualification in some circumstances um, or uh, what what that speaks to in terms of identity and I find that interesting that over the years you know it's uh, you know initially be that physiotherapist would be something I'd just answer alone uh, but then typically uh, especially in a circumstance say where I would be asked that by someone and say me and my wife are there and we're both physiotherapists but do very different day jobs um, then there would be something more that came with that, in which that we both say, we're physiotherapists. I work with, and the joke we say is, I work with well adults, and Charlotte works with poorly children, right? It'd be that there were a sort of, there are polarities within our professional identities yeah. there, but it depends on the context. Now, one of the things that I want to ask you then is, is that when you're now in a situation where you're, you're asked, you know, what do you do for a living? Do you then crack your knuckles and give a give a hell of a story, or do you say I'm a I'm a sports therapist or I'm a former? Well, how would you how do you answer that question now if you've been in that? It's it's actually a really uh, hard question to answer. I think it does depend on on who I'm talking to. Right. Um, legally, I'm not sure I can call myself a former osteopath because uh, of the implication part. I'm implying oh I'm better than a a sports therapist because I'm a former osteopath. Um, well, that wouldn't be a dubious thing to say legally. Like you I'm say, it might be something sure. that would be, you might not like to do that because you're trying to differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself from from other sports therapists, of which you've got plenty of respect for. But I'm just meaning that I don't. I'd be surprised if, like you said, it's a, a statement of fact to be an ex yeah. or a former osteopath. It's like a statement of fact, but it's also you know if you're going to see. An osteopath, go see an osteopath. You know, I'm I'm a specialist musculoskeletal treater and rehabber. I'm bordering genius fixer. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm taking the Mickey slightly there, but um, there's lots and lots of people who can fix you. And this is yeah, this is where I am now. This has been a process I've gone through. Oh, I'm an ex osteopath. I used to be registered as an osteopath, but now I'm I'm not registered anyone. I just do what I did before. Um, and then it's, you know, I'm a sports therapist, I'm registered with the STO or STA, actually, I should say, uh, registered with the STA, and I do this. And now it's like, I fix people, I help you get better. Um, I don't need to label myself. Why label yourself? We're, we go, there's so many people who can, who can treat you. And the, the techniques used, there's a massive crossover between you know what what everyone does uh so the techniques and the the therapy doesn't really make much difference it very much comes down to the person so mm -hmm. be you you know have that little bit of a spark have that little bit of a fun there you know yeah i'm this genius fixer i'm not i'm just laughing but it's part of my personality 
coming out. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, like, years ago now, I think it was you I had the joke with, me and uh, another osteopath were talking about the special handshake that ends up with your knuckles being cracked. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think we asked you, yeah, so is there a physiotherapist equivalent? And you said jokingly, no, we just sit down and talk about whether we actually do want to touch. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a joke I'd make. Yeah, we'd, we'd pontificate whether or not there was a utility in handshakes anymore. Um, but um, I think with this, I, I wonder if, is it a stages of grief type thing to use your analogy in that you've phased into, like it almost seems sensible in the early days of then not being an osteopath to then refer, you're still in a situation where, you you almost say well i'm I'm now a i'm a former osteopath or an ex osteopath it's like it, it almost like transitions over time as you become more comfortable within a new identity um but it's gonna be in an accuracy sense deeply relevant to your professional um like you said the way in which you reason the sort of heuristic in sometimes in which you sort of see life i know that that's one of the things that i say about if I stop being a physiotherapist tomorrow and stop signing the registers that made me one, then it would be strange because I see a process of sort of a, a, an optimism for rehabilitation as being sort of central to my character, central to my politics. And it's a sort of very sort of be in my being that I see an ability to scale people's ability, uh, scale people's function. And that, that rehabilitation is probably more because that's something that in some ways not always as well as it should be sometimes synonymous with physiotherapy and how i came to rehabilitation is via a physiotherapy degree yeah but it's kind of like I, I find that that's that's where i um find it fascinating that you can't you can't you don't you don't just hang that coat up or switch that flip that switch no it's 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 trained into you uh, at least it should be you know it's it's a way of it's a way of thinking it's a it's a way of life <laughs> it becomes part of your being um you you think therefore you are you think in this particular way so therefore you are that particular way of thinking um and i think yeah you you can't just hang it up it's always there but i if we say that osteopathy is very much a manual therapy very much hands-on uh before i left i was i come to the realization that osteopathy helps X percentage of people, but it doesn't help them all. Uh, physiotherapy helps X percentage of people, but doesn't help them all. And same with chiropractic massage, I don't know, crystal healing, you know, all, all these sorts of things. Um, but what can we take? Where's, where's, where's the good we can take? What can I take from physio? What can I take from osteopathy? What can I take from chiropractic? And you know, you know what, what can I take from crystal healing? What do they have that helps people get better? Yeah, I don't use crystals. I mean, I'm sort of not being, you know, I'm being slightly facetious there, but what do they have? Is it the communication that's good there? Sure. Um, but even before that, I was, you know, I've, I've done, um, Ah, oh, so when was it? Um, the uh, sports and exercise medicine, CSP, sports and exercise medicine uh, people did a conference up in Glasgow, uh, 2014 maybe, something like that. And I went along to that. Yeah. And one of the physios there was talking about doing visceral osteopathy. 
on some of their their charges <laughs> and yeah pretty much the lone osteopath in the room putting his hand up like this and saying that's a load of rubbish you know what what are you doing uh, why are you doing that what are you measuring how do you say there's an improvement how do you know that that's not placebo and um yeah here was the osteopath in the room doubting the osteopathy um i remember and, i wasn't uh, i wasn't there but i followed along and also followed the the, the folk that, that were uh, speaking on that and i found it interesting because it's one of the sort of known things to look like an edgy physio you simply rehash 10 year old osteopathy and they'd be seen as being some sort of maverick and so that was certainly what was going on there and has happened since but you were quite professionally promiscuous really you were I know that you were, you know, you you were someone that weren't averse to to just expanding a skill set, but still, a, you know, why not? You know, it was like, yeah, well, I'm a slut. <laughs> um... <laughs> I want to, I want to just uh, before I forget to, I'm just going to come to some of the comments, Dan, because I think it will guide some of our yeah. conversation here. Uh, thanks to those that are putting some comments in, and, and we will definitely, you know, certainly last five minutes we hit the comments with a, with a flurry. Um, but uh, Dave Polter's making some interesting points about being um, not a registered PT anymore. Uh, it's a question who's who's le right to legally treat people. He mentioned that um, in, he's, he's someone that's not a, he's UK, a British trained physiotherapist, but he holds no UK registration. Is he still a physiotherapist without registration? It's a, a fascinating one. And, and whilst, you know, it's kind of why I was saying that to be, it'd be strange for it to be illegal to call yourself an ex osteopath. Because if you were to, you know, if, if you were to instead be, retiring then that is exactly what you are you're describing yeah. yourself as one that you can't say you're an osteopath anymore you're not registered uh ollie ollie thompson who is an osteopath is saying it's funny he was messaging laura rathbone about this it's an interesting topic he then said about uh, you know it's a shameless plug but we'll allow it. it's a brilliant show but he said that dave nichols posted today posed today on his podcast it was uh, if you were to in the public handle your profession would you do it and certainly a, a very technical thing to say. And, and that's, I mean, that was a quite an interesting one. And, you know, but that's a huge subject in itself. And sure. I think we could have a massive fight over that. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> well, we will on this show, because I think that's something I want to get stuck into, probably even with, with Oliver himself, because I think that's going to be useful, is to yeah, uh, deconstruct to what, to what end. And also, you know, instinctively, it's like, yes, whatever's in the public's best interest. However, um, uh, you know the the nature of entropy meaning that it's easier to dismantle than to reconstruct and so we've got to be sometimes more careful than others would like to be and it's easy to settle pontificate that academically when you're not necessarily on the front line and it's something that um definitely i would go into on it oh uh, mike Burkeby has said he was an osteopath for a number of years but increasingly found himself doing his own thing which was very much steered by being more evidence informed I'm just going to stop there. There's got more comment there, and we'll come back to it. But was that something that you came to to notice, shaking your professional identity a little? In that, the the, the themes and the, the the commonalities amongst the profession felt like they didn't represent you, or is that something different to what Mike had? Um, there were similarities, I think, with Mike. Um, but I think the trouble is, is Osteopathy is a very, very broad church. We've got people who are very evidence-informed, evidence-led, evidence-based medicine, you know, whatever, however we want to describe it. Uh, but then we have people potentially at the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, who are not evidence-led. Uh, they're, I don't know, history-led. 
can you be led by history? Um, I know what you're meaning. You're meaning like foundational dogma, essentially the, you know, what would the founders yeah. do? Type yeah, situation. so, you know, keep it pure. You know, that's not osteopathy. And um, how can a profession progress when people have got the brakes on and attaching anchors and stopping it being moved forward? Uh, and it's either progress or corrode and fall apart. One of the things I want to ask on that is that I've noticed in osteopathy relative to physiotherapy, and whilst you know I'm one that challenges many different ch issues with, within, within my own profession, but one thing that I can't say I've seen in physiotherapy is any sort of devotion to particular people that were foundational to its inception. So I can't think about exactly who were the remedial gymnasts and, and original masseuses that then moved into physiotherapy. I don't know their names. Whereas in osteopathy, I mean, I've seen that there's almost a religious fervor by some to try to work out what would the founders have done in this context and that to be relevant, reasoned information. I think it's probably because it, became, it came from one person. So you had 80 still who founded it. Right. Um, then it was brought over to the UK by John Martin Littlejohn, who then taught it. But then we have the whole cranial side with um, William Garner Sutherland, who's who's brought that over. So we have these three towers. I mean, they're all linked together. They all sort of knew mm. each other and worked around each other. Uh, and then, you know, we have the the ones who kept the classical osteopathy going with um john wernham uh so yeah you have, all we, have we have gurus but they're not i can't think that people hark back to it as if i think that that sense of profit is well, what you're getting it's at. actually it's actually strange i mean you've got yeah he wasn't a physio but you have um syriacs um yeah Maitland, who Morgan. Thing, who's almost like the, the daddy of physio well, they're daddy of manual, they're sort of daddy of, of, of manual therapy, but I think it's that, that's what's uh, there's a relevant distinction there because we've got plenty of them across different disciplines. But it's in osteopathy, I suppose I'm, I'm just maybe you disagree, but I think that harking back to the inception is something that is relevant rather than it being, yeah, these characters that are associated to techniques or styles of practice, etc. I thought I think that physio's probably got, got more of them than most, but in osteopathy, is this. Who, who I keep using this religious imagery because I do feel like sometimes I read it as if it's like, well, he discovered the golden tablets, and that then everything from that, for some, has been a maturing of that, and some of it been a corrupting of that, as if he he had the he had the right form, and we've we've messed. With I I I I have trouble. I agree with you, but at the same time, I have trouble saying, oh no, no, it's not religious. It's not religious dogma, because I'm not religious, and I. I actually take on board a lot of what sort of 80 still says. Um, but also at the same time, he talks about circulation of fluid. He talks about the body has its own medicine chest. And these have been modernized over times and tried to be more current, more science led. But then you have um, uh, Dr. Dave Evans, uh, osteopath, um, who did a paper on where do these prints where are these principles now <laughs> what use are they are they any use at all and in a lot of sense he's shredded um 
founding principles. Like, this is a load of rubbish. You know, when we look at it this way, it doesn't stand up to modern medicine. Okay, yeah, we can say the body has its own medicine chest, homeostasis, immune response, inflammatory responses, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, okay, we need vaccines. Because um, sometimes, particularly pertinent today, um, we need vaccines. Um, but you've still got people saying, oh, you know, vaccines are terrible, they're going to kill you. So, okay, how many, do, how many people do they affect? Oh, you know, one in 5,000. So how many people does, let's say, COVID affect or kill? One in a hundred. So which gives the most relevant probability difference there? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen a vaccine. couple of things that I've just put there. Uh, Oliver Thompson said it's a forefathers and, uh, and, a, and a sour faced emoji. Giles has said, interesting to know, but not massively relevant in a modern context. So I'll definitely come back to that. I want to ask you about that. Um, before I do, though, the thing here from joe turner that's interesting to me is that she she remembers driving home from the start of maternity leave and struck by so if i'm not a physio for the next six months who am i um, and so it sort of shook her a little bit that seems it seems relevant that what is it to be what is it to be a professional within that banner and do you do you hang that up like if joe in the middle of her maternity leave was to be asked what is it you do then with the appropriate and usual natural caveat of saying I'm on maternity leave at the moment, but I'm a physio, it doesn't seem that that's false. Similarly, that when you, when you stop being, um, it kind of, I find that to be a really interesting, interesting thing because, you know, as we've said, laws, laws are regardless. It's something that, do you think that if you saw, I forget, I won't ask your age, Dan, but if you did another 20 years as a sports therapist, do you think that that's something that it will supersede your osteopathic identity or is it something that naturally just integrates? No, I think, it, I, think, I think they integrate. Um, it's the way you approach a person. Uh, it's the way you rationalize your treatment. How do you, why am I doing that treatment? Yeah, you think how you do it. Why do you choose what you're doing? Yeah, well, I guess. To... so it's not I'm not a good example, but okay, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, but you know, uh, we 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 have a framework to fix that that treatment approach in. And yes, it will be modified over time. So doing some courses with physiotherapists bought on my rehab side. So why why am I exercising here? Why am I rehabbing here? Why am I strengthening here? Right. And yeah, it modified it. It changed my treatment, but that was probably my, my home treatment rather than my in-clinic treatment. Um, I still use a lot of those osteopathic principles and approaches to what I'm doing. But then you, 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 you'll get the same thing with physio. Give, one, give, physio, give a patient to 10 people, you'll get 15 different approaches. Uh, and I think that same thing happens. It's, it's everyone picks. So we had, I mean, you'll be familiar with him. I can say the absolute genius of Stephen Tyman um, as our concepts osteopathic healthcare lecturer. Yeah. And he picked all these little bits and pieces and sort of put them together and, and hung them on. It's like, you could use a bit of this one. He called it, uh, I think, don't think he, he coined this phrase, but bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. So you know how your, 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 your laces go from across as they go down. 
And this is how we approach the patient. We take a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and a bit of that. And it just goes all the way through. And we get you know, our treatment approach at the end of it. And um, I'll fish out. I know you've mentioned him. I'll fish out a couple of key references for Timon because it was... Yeah, he was uh, he was a sort of proper titan of of uh, and, and greatly missed. You know, unfortunately, he passed away yeah. a couple of years ago. Too but soon. he he was someone that, especially because he, he it wasn't just narrow MSK into professional bits. It was that a lot of humanities based thinking and, and sort of you know philosophical underpinning concepts where he was sort of saying, that... well, how does time fit into this? How does the relevance of their context fit in? And so, but... what are the ways in which physiotherapy has gone? He was he was streets ahead. But even that, I mean, you know, you think um, if you're going to justify uh, more of a, a BPS approach than a musculoskeletal approach, how many physios will use Arl Lederman's paper, um, opinion piece, on, and that's another osteopathic approach, informing physiotherapy. Um, and what's the lad, I forget who's the, what's the lad who did the sort of really quite visceral critique of core stability exercise? He was an osteopath, wasn't he? He did like a Wasn't that our Lederman as well? Lederman, yeah. So or did you mention him? Yeah, uh, he, 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 yeah, he, he was having a go at the BPS approach, uh, the anti-BPS, he's anti, no, he's, he's pro-BPS. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, if um, Oliver Thompson's still listening, he'll probably have a, a link to that for you. But um, Al Lederman saying, you know, we can't use a mechanical approach anymore. No. Um, we're not. We've got. I, to I realize that. I realize the time, Dan. Sorry. Yeah. I sorry. Like one last. One last question on that is that: Do you think that realistically, although we can understand the complex way in which these words and terms and professions, etc., affect our identities, do you think that realistically, all being said, when we're pulling and drawing from the same evidence base? Should there be much daylight between sensible evidence-informed clinicians in a modern era? No, as just as there's fifteen, as just as ten osteopaths will approach one person in fifteen different ways, the same thing should happen with physios, caros, uh, sports therapists. Uh, we should be approaching the same person the same way with pretty much the the same thoughts, the same governance. Mm -hmm. um, these differentiations don't make any difference anymore. We should just all be lumped together, stuck on a spin side, sort of formatted out. Um, you <laughs> well, know, how, um, how we get there? How we get there? I'm not sure. But at the moment, when it comes to best practice, I do feel like we need to decrease what we call what we call warranted variation, and quite central to our work with MSKR is to try and make sure that we don't lose these sort of interesting differences between us as people as therapists. But we do start to recognise that the wild difference that comes from the same patient, the same say tendinopathy presentation, should there is a there is some science that can inform best practice in that direction, and it should be sort of uh, less wildly varied. You had to get moment. that MSKR in, didn't you? Oh, of course. Well, every show it gets mentioned. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Dan. I'm sure we'll speak Love again on, on air and off air, but I uh, really appreciate it. Really interesting. And thank you so much for those that have commented. Obviously, if you're just catching us at the end there, then do tune in. You can get it on a podcast form on Spotify and wherever you would prefer to listen to it. But that's, that's us for now. Join us tomorrow. We're talking to a lady called Jackie Wallumby, who's going to be talking a little bit about some of the contentions and myths that exist around um, race and pain and ethnicity and pain and some of the things that get perpetuated and why they do so because of statistical differences that get found and inferences that are made. We mentioned it on a show a few weeks ago and there was pointed in the direction of a leading expert in that field. And so we want to bust some myths around some of those tropes 
uh, tomorrow. So do join me on the show for that. I say tomorrow. No, it's not. It's Friday. Uh, she's on the show. So I can't remember what's on tomorrow. I'm losing track. But yeah, thanks so much for everyone joining us. And uh, Dan, we'll speak soon, mate. Love to speak to you. Speak to you again Thank soon, you, mate. Cheers, See you. Bye. Bye.